Well, greetings. I can't wait to continue in our conversation out of our series 242, which comes out of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. As the text was just read for us, we're going to be looking specific at Acts chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And there's just a couple of things that I want to unpack in our conversation here today. The first one is this, that, that this faith community that we see, that they desire to be of one heart and one mind. And secondly, we see where deception and pretending breaks into this faith community. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. And he's so good at recording the acts of the apostles, the, the acts of the early church. And as we look at this text here today, I want us to be mindful of the fact that, that Luke is writing of a community, a Pentecost community, that is starting to, to take shape. And we've been seeing that over the last couple of weeks. Luke wants us as his readers to know that, that there's these non-negotiables that, that are within this new in-breaking community. He wants us to know that believers were wholeheartedly devoted to the apostles' teaching, which reflect the ministry of Jesus, a ministry in new context and, and addressing cultural complexities. Believers were committed to, to meeting together in, in koinonia, in fellowship. Acts chapter 2, verse 5, it, it tells us that they were gathered from every nation under heaven in Jerusalem. And we talked about how it's such a beautiful mosaic, how, how in the midst of, of, of so much diversity that, that, that we are finding unity taking place in this early gathering of the church. Luke tells us that they broke bread together. And we are, we're going to do that in just a couple of moments. There was, this, there was this table fellowship, if you will, that began. Everyone was welcome to the table. And I can just imagine that that will someday, what, what heaven will be like when, when the Lord prepares a feast at the table and he invites us all to come. And, and, and I can just imagine as we come to the table, we're going to find our place. There's going to be our name there on a placard. And somehow, someway, we're all going to be able to sit next to Christ. I, I just can't wait for that time. I'm excited for that day. But I also, as we look at this text, we also need to understand that Luke writes of this community, this faith community, this early church, they were so committed to prayer. And we're going to see as we continue on in our conversations in weeks to come, we're going to see where prayer is so powerful. That, that prayer, as Jesus taught, that we need to take a posture of prayer. In the midst of uncertainty, that we need to be a people of prayer. In the midst of persecution, we need to be a people of prayer. In, in the midst of great challenge, we need to be a people of prayer. In the midst of great celebration, we need to be a people of prayer. Reverend Billy Graham says this of prayer. Prayer is the, the Christian's greatest weapon. And then he also says, the Christian life is, is not a constant high. He says, I have, I've had my moments of deep discouragement. I, I had to go to God in prayer with tears in my eyes and say, oh God, forgive me. Or, oh God, please help me. The early church gathered for prayer and devotions. They, they were unified in this effort. Matthew chapter 18, verse 20 says this, For where two or three are gathered in my name, I, being God, am there with them. 
Acts chapter 4, verse 31. If you were to turn back just a page to, to chapter 4, in verse 31, it says this, after they prayed, the place where they were gathered was shaken. They were all filled with the, the Holy Spirit and began speaking God's word with great confidence. They began speaking God's word with great confidence. Jeremiah chapter 29 Verse 13 says, when you come looking for me, that being God, when you come looking for me, you will find me. Yes, when you get serious about finding me and want it more than anything else, you will find me. I'll make sure that you won't be disappointed. This is the decree of God. He says, I'll turn things around for you. I will bring you back from the countries from which you scattered. This is God's decree. I'll bring you home to a place from which I sent you off into exile. You can count on it. This is God's decree. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. It says this in the same way. The Spirit comes to help us in our weakness. We do not know what we should pray, but the Spirit himself pleads our case with unexpressed groans. The one who searches hearts knows how the Spirit thinks. Because he pleads for the saints, he is consistent with God's will. Hebrews chapter 5 verse 7, in the days of, of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 17 says this, be cheerful no matter what, church, friends, be cheerful no matter what. Pray all of the time. Thank God no matter what happens. Church, thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you. And this is how he expresses to you that, that, that he loves you and that you belong to him. For those of us that choose to be in relationship with him, he promises that we will see this thing through. This new gathering of believers lived in the sense of, of awe. I mean, just think about it. There was this, this sense of, of unity and, and diversity. There was compassion and concern for one another. Passion about the word and, and commitment to, to sharing of the redemptive story. Members voluntarily gave things up to, to meet the needs of the church. Look at Acts chapter 4, verse 34 there. The whole congregation of believers was unified. They were united as one heart and one mind. And that's the first thing that I want to share with you here today. It is that this, this faith community, that they were of one heart and one mind. They didn't even claim ownership of their own possessions. No one said, this is mine, you, you can't have it. They shared, they shared everything. The apostles gave powerful witness to the resurrection of the master, Jesus, and grace was found on all of them. And so it turned out that, that not a, a person among them was found needy. Those who owned fields or, or houses sold them and, and, and brought the price of the sale to the apostles and, and made it an offering to the church. The apostles then distributed it according to the needs of each person found in that faith community. Luke wanted to express that the spirit of unity was very present amongst these believers. These early Christians believed that, that God had established the, the new covenant through Jesus Christ. Therefore, they, they saw themselves as this covenant community 
in whom the promises of God were coming true. And it was their desire that, that, that the covenant, that, that, that the things that God had done for them, they wanted to reflect that out in the world in which they lived. Remember Acts chapter 1 verse 8. When Jesus comes to, to the crowd in the upper room and he tells them to, to remain there until they receive power from the Holy Spirit so that they will be able to become his witnesses, not only in Jerusalem, not only in Samaria, not only in Judea, but throughout all of the ends of the earth. They wanted this faith community, this one heart and one mind to reflect the very commission that Jesus himself had desired of them. It's happening we, we see this in, in this gathering. We see the Holy Spirit moving. There is this inbreaking of the kingdom taking place amongst them. And T. Wright says, and I quote, Luke is making a striking, controversial claim that the early Christian movement was, in effect, the true covenant community that God had always intended to set up. He adds that it had been achieved by the, the massive and total forgiveness of sins and debts accomplished by Jesus and his death. Jesus had, after all, announced as his agenda, and we can see that in, in, in the Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 4, the program of Jubilee that is set out and refers to Isaiah chapter 61 in the Old Testament, that this talking of forgiveness both of sins and debts, that the sin that brought bondage, the debt that brought bondage can be broken and the person can be set free and live life anew. We're finding this taking place in the midst of this new community, this faith community, the early church. So everyone was of one heart and one mind. Luke wants us as his readers to, to understand that this passage wasn't just about agreeing on all disputed matters, but also looking to the needs of others as their own. So if you have a need, it becomes my need, my burden as well. We, we share that together. If, if I have a need, then you look and you share that, that burden along with me. Jeremiah chapter 32, verse 39 says, They will be my people. I will be their God. I'll make them of one mind and, and one heart, always honoring me so, so that they can live good and whole lives, they and their children after them. What's more, I'll make a covenant with them that will last forever. I will make a covenant with them that will last forever, says God. A covenant to stick with them. A covenant to stick with them. A covenant to stick with them no matter what and work for their good. Church, friends, we need to understand here today that, that God will never leave us, that he will never forsake us. And you've heard me say this time and time again, but he is willing to walk life's journey with us, step by step, stride for stride. That in the midst of a pandemic, he can be found. In the midst of uncertainty, that he can be found. In the midst of great joy and celebration, he can be found. Look at chapter 4, verse 36 there. It says this, Joseph called by the apostles Barnabas, which, which means son of comfort, which means a, 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 a one of encouragement, a Levite born in Cyprus. It says that he sold a field that he owned and he brought the money and made an offering of it to the apostles. So he sold what he had.
had and he brought it into the storehouse. He sold what he had and he brought it to the church. He sold what he had and he gave it willingly and freely to the apostles. It tells us that Barnabas also, his name being the son of encouragement, that he was a Levite member of the tribe of Levi. And Barnabas affords us this, this great example. Just a few verses prior to our selected text, he, he affords us this great example of someone who was sold out, someone who was sold out for the community effort, that he was sold out 100% to the community, to this faith community, to the church. The text tells us that Barnabas sold property and brought the proceeds to the apostles. And, and look at that verse again. Barnabas sold property and brought the, the proceeds to the apostles. Luke will later show us that, that Barnabas would, would live up to his name, not only in the selling of his property, but also being that of an encourager in the midst of some very difficult times, some very challenging times, persecution times in the church. We'll see that as we, we move towards Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 11. But Luke brings Barnabas into this story in the midst of uh, uh, telling us how the early church is shaping, this faith community is shaping. He puts this, this little story, this little narrative of Barnabas right down in the middle of that so that we can understand, that we can see what it looks like for a person or for a group of people to be dedicated in such a way, that to a group of people that, that look like Christ-like, that are living out Christ-likeness in the midst of community. Second, in our conversation, I want to talk for just a moment about how deceit and pretending uh, entered the, the ecclesia, how faith, or excuse me, deceit and pretending broke into ecclesia, broke into the church. Look at Acts chapter 5, verse 1. It says that Ananias and his wife Sapphira, Sapphira became the focal point. They become the focal point of this text. It tells us that they were pretending to, to, to be wholeheartedly committed to the community of faith. Thus, the, the title of today's message is, is Pretenders. See, they, they had a piece of property, and it tells us, the text tells us they, they sold it and, and brought a portion, brought a portion of the proceeds to the apostles. Quite the contrast of Barnabas. The story of Ananias and Sapphira is, is much like that of Achan in, in the Old Testament. The Old Testament of Joshua chapter 7. We see where Joshua comes before the Lord and, and, and he's very disturbed. He's very upset. And he comes to the Lord and he says, Lord, why, why are we be, be being defeated so, so terribly out on the battlefield? In, in essence, the, the, the Lord declares in that text that how can he bless when there are spoils in the camp? See, Joshua chapter 7, verse 11, God says, Israel has sinned. They have violated my covenant, which I commanded them to keep. They, they have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen. They have lied. They have put them with their own possessions. In other words, God was saying, Joshua, how can I bring blessing when there's spoils in the camp? How can I bless the faith community when there's one, in this, this context, Achan, who would later be found out as the one who had been stealing and keeping spoils from the battlefield and burying them in a hole underneath his tent? That's a great question that, that I think that we should ask ourselves here today. Are we expecting God 
to move in our lives the way that he sees fit? Or are we choosing to keep spoils or sin in our lives? Are we making that choice? Are we expecting God to do his part, but there's this intentionality on our part to not live wholeheartedly the way that, that God would have us to do so? See, at the, at the root of, of both of these narratives, Achan and Ananias and Sapphira, it, it is an issue of deceit, the, the breaking of covenant with God and his faith community. See, the issue of Ananias and Sapphira isn't their right to, to hold back part of the proceeds. The, the issue is the attempt to deceive the faith community to which they were a part. This text lays out a very clear directive on lying, on deceit. In our modern day culture, we have become so notorious at spinning a narrative to fit however we want something to be represented. We have grown to accept half-truths. We see daily where, where people lie, where they, they twist the truth, they, they force their opinions, their objectives to force their own points, their, their own agendas. N.T. Wright says, and I quote, our culture is due a sharp dose of the warning which a story like this can provide. See, Ananias didn't have to lie. He, he didn't have to, 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 to be a deceiver or be deceptive or, or to pretend to be something that, that he wasn't. He, he could have chosen, please understand me when I say this, but he could have chosen to sell the property. It, was his, it would be his own prerogative. He could keep the proceeds. He could have easily have said, I sold property and I choose to, to give this portion or a portion to the church. He could have done that. If bringing just a portion of the, of the proceeds would have brought him embarrassment, he, he simply could have refrained from, from getting a realtor, if you will, and, and posting the property for sale. He didn't have to do any of that. He wasn't pressured to do any of that. He wasn't pressured to sell. But look at verse 4 there in our text, chapter 5. Peter speaking. He says, before you sold it, it was all yours. And after you sold it, the money was, was yours to do with as you wished. So, so why? Why would you want to come and pull a trick like this? You didn't lie to men, but Ananias, you lied, you have lied to God. N.T. Wright says that the real deep level problem about, about lying is that it, it misuses or it abuses the highest faculty we possess. And that is the gift of expression. It in clear speech the reality of who we are and what we think and, and how we feel. And he adds, instead of allowing God's spirit to have free reign through our faculties so that we praise God in words or sounds which enable us to stand however briefly at the intersection of heaven and earth, when we tell lies, when we tell lies, when we tell lies, we not only hold heaven and earth apart, we twist earth itself so that it covers our own interests. Lying is ultimately a way of declaring that we don't like the way the world is 
And that we will pretend that it's somehow more the way we want it to be. When we live this way, we're basically saying, and please hear me, friends, when I say this, but, but when we live this way, we're basically saying, Lord, I don't trust you with my life. Lord, I, I just don't think that you have it figured out for me in my life the way that I desire, the way that, that I think that it should be played out or that it should be lived out. So when we lie, when we're deceptive, when we pretend, we're basically saying, Lord, I don't trust you with my life. Friends, this early faith community, they looked at what Jesus had done on the cross for them, that he came to set things right, that Jesus gave of his life so that we might live. These early believers, they were seeking to, to bear witness to the redemptive story, to in their fellowship and with their testimonials, Declare that God reigns. How is that in our lives? Do we live our lives in such a way that we're saying that we believe, truly believe that, that, that God reigns? Are we truly in our lives expressing to the world that is watching around us that we believe in and that we have received the redemptive story that we share, that we live out, that our God reigns? All they were becoming in the spirit and it, it is what truly mattered to God. And with that, there was this great awe. There was this fear that, that, that seized the people. Look at verse 11 there of our text, chapter 5. By this time, the, the whole church, and in fact, everyone who heard of these things had a healthy respect for God. They knew God was not to be trifled with. Again, the things that we are reminded of in this text here today is this faith community desire to be of one heart and one mind. And do we desire that here at Gateway, to be of one heart and, and one mind? Do we really desire to look out for the, the needs and the welfare of others around us? Or do we, do we get caught up in our own opinions? Do we get caught up in our own life narrative? And secondly, are we being deceitful with some of the things in our lives? Are, saying, are we saying, God, I will only allow you, or I, I will allow you to, to, to direct or, or be directed in my life only so much, but, but there's some things that I just want to hold on to. There's some spoils, there's some sin in my life that I just want to keep, I just want to hold on to. Do we want to be pretenders or do we want to be proclaimers? of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord this morning. And we all say thanks be to God for the people of God. Shalom.